This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. G'day, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters Down Under. It's a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. Well, I'm on a small island along the southern coast of Australia. And I'm grinning from ear to ear because I'm keeping company with one of the world's all-time favorite wild animals. If you took a survey and you asked people among all the creatures on the earth, which one is the cutest? I think there's a pretty good chance that our little furry Australian friend would come out the winner. Just above my head, balanced somewhat precariously on the limb of a kind of eucalyptus tree called a managum, is a koala. Everybody, everywhere, I guess, knows and loves the koala. Millions of kids have little frizzy stuffed toy koalas that they love to take to bed with them or carry around with them everywhere they go. Along with the kangaroo, the koala is probably the best known icon for Australia. Now our koala, incidentally, you can hear that chewing there. He's busy feeding on eucalyptus leaves and tugging at the branch to pull off some more leaves. This is on Raymond Island, on the southeastern corner of Australia. And this island is famous for koalas. It's a beautiful, warm, autumn evening, clear sky, sun pouring down. Now autumn in Australia means something different than it does to those of us from the north. The temperature is probably 70 or 75 degrees. This is a very mild, temperate, beautiful place. All around me is forest. Some of the trees pretty scruffy looking. Some of them are dead. And I'll explain that. The koalas have a lot to do with it. Now, lest you think I'm far out somewhere in the Australian wilderness, <laughs> just off to my right here about 50 yards away is the beginning of a little community, about 450 houses here. Now our koala, everybody knows what they look like, a furry gray bundle, kind of cuddled up with himself. He's got his left arm holding onto that narrow branch. He really looks monkey-like right now. And his two hind feet clamped around other branches as he's now reaching out to pull some more leafy branches toward himself to keep munching away. Big round head, oversized round ears. Those ears are trimmed with long white fur. This is the most classic looking koala you can possibly imagine. He peers down at me now, eyes sparkling in the sun. I can even see the pupil of him. He's so close to me and a big black button nose and perched on his branch here you can see immediately that the koala has no tail. There's an old aboriginal story to explain why the koala has no tail. He was greedy and was loafing around and got the kangaroo to dig for water for him 
And when the kangaroo found water, he came over, shoved the kangaroo aside and started lapping away at the water. And the kangaroo got really angry and came over and whacked off the koala's tail. And ever since then, our koala has had no tail. This animal is the perfect living, perennially sleepy teddy bear. And I guess that's part of the koala's appeal. We might also say more to the point that the koala is about the same size and shape as a very well-fed human baby in soft fur pajamas. This is an animal that was made to melt our hearts. Unlike most Australian animals that hide all day long and come out only at night, koalas are a very easy animal to see because in the daytime, they don't go down in burrows somewhere. They just curl up on a tree branch. You walk through a forest like this one, and you look up ahead, and you see this little round lump sitting there in the fork of a tree, and you know right away there's a koala snoozing on the branch. There's only one species of koala in the world, and it lives only here in Australia. This is an ancient animal. The earliest koala fossils are at least 30 million years old. This is an animal that has evolved to live in the eucalyptus forests that are unique to the continent of Australia. You can hear the birds in the background there. Those are various kinds of parrots. This island is phenomenally rich in bird life. And the parrots, as we'll hear from time to time now, are kind of roaring as the day begins to dim down toward evening. And intermittently, magpies, the beautiful chorusing bird, maybe the most beautiful singer in all of Australia, maybe one of the most beautiful singers in the world. Now the koala is of course often called koala bear. And it's important to note that those two animals are not faintly related. The koala is a marsupial. It raises its young in a pouch like a kangaroo. Our big koala here is a male. He's stretching out his lower legs as if he's stretching from a long sleep, although he looks like he might doze off on us again. The koala's pouch, instead of opening toward the front or the upper side as a kangaroo's does, opens toward the rear, toward the bottom. Seems a little bit odd for an animal that lives in the trees and often has its body vertical, but that pouch holds the little baby koala safe and secure. Now Australia, again the only place where koalas are found, pretty big country. It's about the size of the continental United States, and koalas are only found in the great eucalyptus forests, sometimes huge trees, sometimes rather scrubby like the ones here, only 40 or 50 feet tall, that are along or near the east coast of this continent. Koalas eat a highly specialized diet of eucalyptus leaves. Australia has about 600 species of eucalyptus, but koalas are very particular about their food. They mainly eat about 14 species of eucalyptus trees. So that really limits where koalas can live. Very finicky eater, this animal, but its eucalyptus salad would kill most other animals, including you or me, and as I'm under our male koala here. Again, we're nice and close. You hear those noisy minor birds going at it? That is their full name, noisy minor, and they live right up to it. Eucalyptus leaves, 
nice green crescent shaped with the sun shining down through them are very low in protein. They have high concentrations of unpalatable tannins. They have lots of hard to digest fibers. They've got strong smelling oils and they have compounds that convert to poisonous cyanide when they're metabolized. The last thing you'd ever want to eat is a bundle of eucalyptus leaves like our guy is doing right now. I'm getting up here so we can hear him crunching away. Pulling at a little bundle of leaves now and enjoying his meal. Eucalyptus leaves obviously are like lollipops for a koala, but not for us. On the plus side, however, the leaves of these trees contain water. This is very important in Australia, the driest inhabited continent on Earth. The name koala, incidentally, comes from an indigenous aboriginal language here in Australia, and it means no drink animal. That's because the koala gets all of its moisture by eating leaves and sometimes by licking dew or raindrops that accumulate. They provide all the water this wonderful animal needs. Now, as you'd expect, the koala is highly adapted for its unusual eucalyptus leaf diet. First, koalas do what our guy has done right now, kind of tightrope out to the ends of branches where they can reach the youngest, tenderest, least toxic leaves. As our koala now grabbing another little bundle of leaves, he's slow about it and selective. He takes his two or three. Sometimes he'll take a little bunch of six or seven at once, and right now he's got the ends of a bunch of leaves sticking out of his mouth. So he's choosing those least toxic younger leaves. Now he's chewing them, as we can hear, meticulously into tiny fragments, making those leaves easier to digest, breaking down the fiber. Now our koala's digestive tract is loaded with microorganisms, little bacteria and other microscopic critters that break down the plant cells so that they can be more easily digested. The koala has an enormously long lower intestine, and especially the cecum, which is the same as our human appendix. These two organs, the lower intestine and the cecum, are fermentation chambers where the slurry of food and juices and microorganisms can stew for up to eight days. The koala absorbs the maximum amount of nutrition from his leafy meals. Also, our koala, who's now stopped feeding, and he's looking down at me, but his eyelids are at half mass. He's not moving. And you know, you almost have to wonder, even though his eyes are open, if he even sees me down here. The metabolism of a koala is about half the rate of most mammals. So they can survive on that low ration of protein and energy. And the key to this is what our koala is starting to do right now, sleep. The koala dozes, nods, snoozes, rests. The koala relaxes, it naps. It basically does nothing on its chosen perch for about 20 hours per day. So if you think a teenager can sleep, not even close to our koala. The koalas feed especially before dawn and after dusk, and then usually 
snooze all day and I guess our guy just decided to have a late afternoon snack before getting on with the evening business of more serious feeding. And there's those noisy minas again mixed in with some parrots. I don't know when I've ever seen a place with so many singing birds as this island has. Now our snoozing koala looks pretty much inert. He occasionally wakes up and looks around and I've been traipsing about with koalas the last few days and this is exactly what they've been doing. They usually move between trees once or twice every night, sometimes during the daylight. Climbing or walking or feeding by a koala usually done in slow motion. But if they're startled or pursued, koala can hit up a pretty good gallop. They're very agile climbers, as you would expect. Sometimes scramble up or down a tree trunk and they crawl out onto these slender branches like an oversized squirrel. Now, the paws of the koala are the key to this. The front paws, it's as if the koala has two thumbs and they oppose three fingers on the other side. So its hand is sort of like a clamp that grabs onto the branches. Very strong grip and long curved black needle sharp claws. And the hind feet, very interesting, four toes and an opposable thumb-like toe with no claw, kind of a rounded end like a gecko's toe. A koala can stick to a tree like a magnet, but I gotta say that life at the ends of branches can be perilous and koalas sometimes fall. When they do, these animals are incredibly sturdy and resilient. You can see it in that stocky build. Their brain is surrounded by shock-absorbing fluid, so it's like wearing a helmet all the time, and they need it. Yesterday, I watched an amorous male koala chase a female out onto a dead branch. She was making raspy, irritated squeals, and suddenly that branch snapped, and the female fell about 40 feet landed flat on her back. I happened to be recording at the time. Let me play that sound for you. Oh, oh my God. I was pretty startled by that and very concerned. The female just disappeared down into small ferns on the forest floor there, and nothing moved. I just stood there for long minutes and finally walked over to have a look. And to my amazement and delight, that female stood up, climbed the trunk, and just kind of stared at me, a little dazed looking, but she seemed fine. As it turned out, she'd landed on kind of leafy, twiggy duff. And sure enough, she proved that a koala can survive a very big fall, something that would probably kill you or me. That little female seemed unbothered by it. The male, incidentally, stayed put up there in the tree, and he made these grunting sounds. I could only think they were the sounds of frustration that she got away from him. He had other things in mind. Now our koala, I don't think has anything at all in mind right now. He's got his chin laying on his arm as you would if you had your arm on a desk and you put your chin down on there and fell asleep. His eyes are shut tight and the late sun is shining on him. Now those grunts from 
the male koala after the female fell are just a hint of what a male koala sounds like when he's really cranked up. These are basically solitary animals, except for the female when she has her joey, her little young one with her, or a male looking for love like ours yesterday. The male uses his voice to warn other males out of his territory. Now the first time I heard this sound, I was alone. It was the middle of a moonless night, pitch black, in a steamy, jungly, rather spooky forest, and I felt odd enough as it was, and then I heard this sound. I had no idea what this was. This bellowing, belching, snoring sound. Was that a wild boar? It's the only thing I could think of. I have to admit, it was scary, and I got myself right out of that woods. Much later, I found out this was the bellowing of a male koala. How could that great rumbling bellow come from the world's darling little teddy bear? I just can't fathom it. When the male does this, he leans back, looks up toward the sky, opens his mouth like a howling wolf, and lets it rip. Now, the main mating season for koalas is during the Australian winter. Remember, that would be during the northern summer. The season's being reversed down here. The male koalas bellow at each other. They often have serious wrestling fights in the trees. The dominant male drives the contender out onto a thin branch. He bites his competitor, often wounds that animal. The contender might even fall down out of the tree. If he's lucky, he might slip past that dominant male and manage to scramble down without getting hurt. Older males, like ours right here, and I can see it on his nose, are often well-decorated with battle scars. This guy, I think he's been around a little bit, but he's gathering his energies right now, doing absolutely nothing. Mating among koalas is not much friendlier than those fights among the males. The male pursues the female, as I saw yesterday, out onto smaller and smaller branches. There's lots of grabbing, fighting, wrestling, complaining sounds from the female. Doesn't look or sound even slightly romantic. Well, the brief courtship and mating give way to a very brief pregnancy. The tiny embryonic baby koala is born just over a month later. Imagine that. Very short gestation. It instinctively crawls from the mother's birth canal up into her pouch and there fastens onto a nipple and begins to suck the highly nutritious milk from its mother. The pouch of the koala, like all the marsupial animals, serves as a womb. The little joey develops in that soft, warm cave next to its mother's belly. There's our koala. Kind of startled me there. Not the first time I've been startled by a koala's voice. <laughs> it doesn't even look out of the pouch, that little joey, for six months. And then finally, the cute little Joy ventures outside the pouch a couple of weeks later, so almost seven months old before it comes outside. Then it rides on the mom's back and comes back to the pouch for a little bit of milk from its mom. The Joy koala is almost a year old when it finally sets out on its own. Now, if all goes well, a male koala like ours here might live as long as about 12 years. The female, a little bit longer, up to 15 years, but oftentimes fate will intervene earlier.
koalas die from starvation in the very common droughts. Disease can kill koalas. Also dingoes, which are a wild dog that lives here, sort of like coyotes, short fur, sandy color. Eagles, owls, giant monitor lizards that can be six feet long prey on young koalas especially. And then of course there are Australia's notorious forest fires. No koala can escape a forest fire when it tops out in a eucalyptus stand. Now also humans have for a very long time been a big factor in the lives of koalas. The Aboriginal people have lived in Australia for at least 50,000 years. Compare that with about 12,000 years in North America. The early Europeans who came here wrote that Aboriginal people were expert at finding and hunting koalas. They cooked and ate the meat. And of course, undoubtedly, this had some impact on the population of these sedentary, easily found animals. Then, as Europeans settled here in Australia, there was an intense commercial hunting of koalas. There was a big demand in the United States, in Canada, in Europe, for the soft, warm, durable koala fur. Apparently, its number one use made an excellent lining for winter coats. The records for koala kills are absolutely amazing. For example, 300,000 koala skins shipped to London just in the year 1899, and it's estimated that about 2 million koala hides were exported from Australia in the year 1924. Well, no animal can sustain that kind of pressure. And by the late 1920s, koalas were careening toward extinction. The story is fundamentally identical to that of many animals in North America, the bison, the wolf, the grizzly bear, and of course the bald eagle. And like those animals, the koala was finally protected at the last minute. And so the koala, rescued from the brink of extinction, became a symbol for the importance of conservation. Koalas from mainland Australia were released on coastal islands that didn't have natural populations of these animals, with the idea that this would be a refuge to preserve the species. The most famous, Kangaroo Island. It's a big island, about 80 miles long, near the city of Adelaide. 18 koalas were released on Kangaroo Island in the 1920s. By 2001, 80 years later, Kangaroo Island had 25 to 30,000 koalas. They were defoliating and killing the trees. The koalas were starving. After a huge controversy over the idea of shooting them to lower the population, a major project was undertaken to sterilize the koalas, also to capture them and release some of the animals back on the Australian mainland. This is still going on and the island still has problems with an overpopulation of koalas. Well, exactly the same story happened here on Raymond Island. About 40 koalas were released here in 1953. 50 years later, in 2003, biologists counted over 600 koalas here on Raymond Island. That's way too many for a narrow, sandy island that's just about three miles long. Massive defoliation killed whole tracts of eucalyptus forest, and that's just off to my right here. I'm looking through all these bare, skeletal eucalyptus trees that were killed because they were browsed so heavily by our cute little koalas. 
Now, almost half of Raymond Island's koalas have been relocated to the nearby mainland. Many of the others have been sterilized, and in a recent census, they found just under 300 koalas here. Forest regeneration projects are underway to try to get the trees back. In fact, as you walk around the neighborhoods with big eucalyptus trees, you'll see a lot of them have wide plastic collars around the trunk to keep the koalas from climbing up there and defoliating the trees. But in spite of the problems koalas have caused here ecologically, make no mistake about it, Raymond Islanders love these animals just as much as you and I, perhaps more. It's one of the best places in Australia to see koalas close up. The emblematic sound of Australia, dusk and dawn, the kookaburra bird, and also a couple of bats just flew by me here. Now, on the whole, koalas are doing better in Australia today than they were a century ago. But while they're thriving in some places, like right here, they have never returned to many other forested areas where hunters killed them all. And there are also lots of places that are no longer suitable for koalas, where the forests were cleared long ago. Australia is also still cutting large tracts of forest for timber, for agriculture, for suburban and industrial development. And this has a major impact on koalas in parts of Australia. They're developing plans trying to protect habitat around communities, but overall, the frenetic, urbanized world and our slow-living koalas are not a good mix. They're killed by dogs, they're hit by cars, they can't cope with the increasingly fragmented forests in areas where human populations are growing, and they're also impacted by the losses of those very few kinds of trees that koalas can eat. I should mention that Australia has strictly controlled the taking of koalas for zoos. This is kind of a leftover from that time when koalas nearly became extinct. But there are lots of koalas in public and private zoos here in Australia. It's really the only sure way to see koalas if you come here. Well, of course, you can come to Raymond Island. I think you're pretty guaranteed of seeing them here as well. There are also koalas in some zoos outside of Australia, in Spain, France, Japan, China, South Africa, the U.S., and other countries. Limited in number because koalas must have their daily supply of fresh eucalyptus leaves. Some zoos around the world have local access. The best known is the San Diego Zoo. Probably has the most koalas of anywhere outside of Australia. Eucalyptus trees grow all over California, so they have ready supplies there. Other zoos have to ship in their leaves from faraway places. For example, there's a zoo in Germany that gets its eucalyptus leaves shipped over from southern Florida. There's about 10 American zoos that have koalas, so you don't need to fly for 14 hours across the Pacific just to see one. Well, as most any kid can tell you, you don't actually need to see a real live koala to fall in love with this amazing, unlikely, one-of-a-kind critter from the gum tree forests of Australia. It's as if those 30 million years of the koala's evolution were focused entirely on perfecting the ultimate expression of cuteness. No human imagination has ever come up with anything to match it. 
doing its full scale bellowing grunting call there well I guess that's a reminder to say it's got a one-of-a-kind voice too for encounters on Raymond Island in southern Australia I'm Richard Nelson want to thank you so much for your good company and thanks to the koalas for occasionally waking up to peer down at me and for showing this insomniac what sleep is really all about. I'll see you next time. Encounters is a production of the Island Institute, KCAW, and the Sitka Sound Science Center in Sitka, Alaska. Written and narrated by Richard Nelson. Developed by Ken Fate. Produced and edited by Lisa Bush. Web design and research by Liz McKenzie. Encounters is funded by the North Pacific Research Board, Robert Osborne, and Gerald Lorraine. For more information about the subjects covered by Encounters and to podcast, go to EncountersNorth.org and join us on Facebook. Facebook.